And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And what you just saw was a, a depiction of an actual day, an important day in the life of the church. And this is, of course, a reenactment of the day that Jesus rode the colt of a donkey into Jerusalem. We call this day Palm Sunday because the Bible tells us that people use palm branches and use them to praise God in paying honor to Jesus. And I think there was quite a commotion when it went on, and you'll hear me talk about that in a few minutes. It was quite a publical, a publical, of quite a public display. Uh, Yes, I have rennet lips on today. I'll try to readjust them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I want to tell you, this was not typical behavior for Jesus. Jesus was not one who sought to um, to call attention to himself. Most of the time, he, dis- in fact, discouraged it. And he would do his, he would tell people not to talk about him, not to broadcast news about him. But this was a, no- a different day. This day when juxtaposed against the other days that Jesus walked on the earth was a very different day. This day was happening because of the choice. We've been in our Easter season series and we have named this series the choice. And as Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5 tell us, God for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. What we have been taking note of is before God ever created the first human beings, he had knowledge in his mind that one day humans would rebel against him. 
And we read about that in Genesis chapter 3, when the very first people ever created by God, the very first people ever to exist, who were, by the way, really blessed by God. God put them in a paradise setting. He brought the man and uh, uh, his wife, he created her out of his rib, and he put these people in a paradise setting. They, They had it so good. Every day God would come and he would visit them. Face to face they got to see him. They had abundant food. They had a wonderful life together. Until one day they decided that they would rebel against God's one law. One rule that God gave to them. And we noted that God before ever created them made a decision about a day he knew would come. He knew Adam and Eve one day would rebel against him. And he had choices. He had options. He could have said, you know what? I'm going to destroy them because of what they've done. They don't love me. I'm destroying them. He could have done that. God had the option to, and I've said this to you, he had the option to ignore human human beings after that. You rejected me. You rejected my law. I'm just not coming back anymore. Try living without me. But instead, God made a choice that he announces there in the garden. Once he confronts Adam and Eve, and you'll remember we've talked about this all throughout this series, once he confronts Adam and Eve, Eve, Adam, Adam blames Eve and blames God. You know, the woman you gave me, God, it's your fault. And then Eve, Eve says, no, it's the serpent. It's the serpent's fault. The serpent tempted me and I ate. And God turns to the serpent, who is Satan himself, and says to him, and here's where we see the choice that God has made, where he announces it. He says, I'm going to put enmity between the human's offspring and against you. And he, at that moment, was speaking of Jesus Christ. And he said to Satan, you're going to strike his heel, the crucifixion. And He is going to crush your head, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God announces a choice that he made. And then throughout the scriptures, we see throughout the pages of this wonderful book, the Bible, we see the drive of that choice and how God set in motion this powerful plan to restore a relationship between humanity and himself. The choice was to have his only son punished for what we did to have his only son to hang one day on a cross and pay the penalty for sinfulness because God and sin cannot coexist. And so his perfect son would become the lamb of God. And there are, as I said, multiple places in the Bible that covers thousands of years where we can see the drive and the commitment of that choice that God made before the creation of the world. And we just heard the scripture read to us and, and a little depiction of it from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. And, and Steve may uh, kind of scroll through that as I'm speaking to you as a reminder of what was just read to you there in Luke chapter 19. Last week in this series, we looked at the remarkable circumstances leading to a miracle that Jesus did, an amazing miracle that would set up his own crucifixion. Jesus did an incredible thing. 
after the Jewish people had 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 been at odds with him and had twice earlier had uh, tried to kill him, tried to seize him, tried to take his life, and and the latter of the two times had stones in their hands ready to stone and kill him, and Jesus walked away and he withdrew from the region. After he withdrew, you remember that he got word that his good friend Lazarus had had uh, fallen very very sick, and Jesus also had options. And we talked about how Jesus obeyed his heavenly father and stayed true to the commitment of the choice because Jesus on purpose lit the fuse that would guarantee he would be killed by going to where Lazarus was, by raising him from the dead and the things that he said and he did, by those actions, he lit the fuse so that he put in plan, or put in action the, the, the plan that would lead to his crucifixion. It was right after he raised Lazarus from the dead, you'll remember, that the Sanhedrin had an emergency meeting and they came to the conclusion in this meeting Jesus has to die for the sake of our nation. They convinced themselves that they would lose their entire nation if Jesus wouldn't be killed. And it was there that you see the drive of the, the force where, or, or the choice where Jesus could have said, I'm not going to raise him. Or he had already demonstrated, I can raise him from a distance. And he could, he didn't have to physically appear. But he made the choice. He went to Jerusalem. He did the very things that would put him on the cross. And I noted to you that Jesus foreknew that he was going to face the hardest thing in his entire existence. He saw the cross in the, in the distance looming. And he knew that when he walked to Jerusalem, he was walking to his death. I noted the courage that Jesus displayed in doing that. And the, in spite of the fact that he still could have chosen not to do it, he sets it off. He lights the fuse. What a commitment he had to his father's will, to the choice that God announced all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Thousands of years had transpired since God had said it. But he was not going to opt out no matter what. He chose you. And he chose me. And I'm not sure I can fully appreciate the gravity of the day that's described in the passage of Scripture that we just looked at. It was another deliberate, calculated part of God's plan to facilitate a relationship with people. It was all part of God's plan, all part of God's choice, and it's a big day. I, I would tell you that I believe it is one of the most important days in history, this day that we commemorate and call Palm Sunday. You see, it was a day of prophecy completed. In verses 29 through 35, we'll see that Jesus is talking to his disciples just prior to entering the area where um, Palm Sunday would kind of explode. And he says to two of his disciples, I need you to go into town. And when you go into town, you're going to find this. And he describes it to them to a T. He tells them that they're going to find a colt with its, uh, I mean, a donkey with its colt. And he says, I want you to untie that little colt. I want you to bring the donkey along the mother of the, of the colt. I want you to untie them. And when you do this, what's going to happen is the owner is going to come up to you and say, what are you doing? Okay. And 
That's pretty logical. But Jesus had told them that that's going to happen. And here's what I want you to say. And the point is, everything that Jesus prophesied in that little bit of space, that everything that Jesus had said happened exactly the way Jesus said it was going to happen. I'm going to make the point again to you that everything connected to what Jesus did in the Bible was planned out by his father and not just random. And I'm reminding you again that God knows everything about everything. He knows it all from the beginning to the end. And his plan to deal with people's sin wasn't just thrown together. And it didn't just kind of happen. He didn't play it by ear. God had made a choice. And God was staying committed to all of it. A few weeks ago, we talked about and we looked at what fell off of the pen of Isaiah when he prophesied some seven to eight hundred years prior to Jesus ever coming to this world. And he prophesied about what Jesus would be like and, and what his ministry would look like and who he would be. And every word of that prophecy some seven hundred years later came true exactly the way that God wanted it to happen. God, I believe, employs prophecy in Scripture, I think, to confirm that He is in control. And He is in what is occurring in the events of the world. It's all a God thing. And prophecies that are fulfilled just verifies that God isn't messing around. When He says something's going to happen, it happens exactly the way He says it. God's in control, my good friends. He's always been. He always will be. And can I camp on that for just a second and remind you that if you belong to Him, He's in control of your life. And He knows what's going on. He knows everything. He knew it long before you experienced it. He knew this day would happen and all of the things that happened in it, He knew about it. God is in control of it all. And I believe that's part of the purpose of prophecy. So that He can show people, I'm telling you ahead of time so you know that I'm God and I'm in it. Well, Jesus on this day tells them exactly what's going to happen, how they're going to find it. And as is always the case when Jesus told them things, even if it was the same day, it all happened the way God said it would happen. Zechariah, who was a prophet who lived long before this particular day, Palm Sunday, also prophesied about it. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that prophecy was fulfilled hundreds of years after it was given by the prophet because God gave it to him. And now some cynics may say, may think to themselves that this so-called fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus were simply him knowing what was predicted about him and being careful to follow a script, so to speak. And my heart really goes out to such people who struggle with faith and lack faith in the Lord. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but here's what I'm going to remind you. There are some prophecies about Jesus that were giving long before he walked on this earth that no mere human would be able to perform. The prophecy said that one day Jesus would give sight to the blind, give strength back to lame legs, and would raise the dead. The prophecies hundreds of years before Jesus ever came were given by the prophets, and they said that these things would happen. And folks, they happen exactly the way 
way the prophecy said. Now, I will tell you, in all of my lifetime, if somebody were to prophesy over me, that I would be able to raise the dead, or I'd be able to give sight to blind eyes, unless God stepped in and did a God thing, it ain't happening. So this isn't a case of Jesus reading the scriptures and then making sure he follows the script. This is the case of Jesus fulfilling prophecy because he is exactly who was prophesied to be. And this is a day, this day, when when all that transpired was happening, this is a day when prophecy that had been um, uh, uh, announced and had been given was being completed in the eyes of the people. And I stand by my declaration that this was a day that of prophecy completed. It was also a day of praise communicated. I love verses 37 through 40 that tells us what happened here. And listen to me. As, as they appear, you can maybe look at the scriptures here. But listen to me. Their, their understanding was flawed. They believed that the day was a coordination of a conquering king who would... Deliver them from the tyranny of the Roman government that they were subjugated by. They believed that Jesus was about to establish kingdom power, his kingdom power, a a kingdom of power and peace for Israel. They were mistaken about the prophecies foretelling what God's Messiah was going to do. They saw deliverance from the Romans, but Jesus knew he was going to offer deliverance from sin for the entire world. So they were misguided. Nevertheless, they praised and they celebrated that day. And folks, I want you to know that on that day, I'm going to steal a palm here. Is that one of you guys? I'm going to steal one. May I? Thank you. You're so nice to me. Thank you very much. I appreciate you doing that. But on that day, the Bible tells us that praise went up to the Lord God. And and here's what I want you to, to hear me say. Whether it was misguided or not, it was appropriate to be praising Jesus on that particular day. And I just have to wonder what would happen if if it would have been us there instead of the people, the Jews on that day. I just wonder how it would have looked when Jesus was approaching the town, even if we had our palm branches. I'm just wondering how it would look with us, us really refined people. If, if we were to measure in the way that we typically worship here, I just wonder how it would sound. I, I want to tell you on that day, there was a commotion. Praise was being lifted up. I think if we were doing it, we'd be walking in front of him. Well, praise God. <laughs> Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes. And we would have been so sedate. We would have been so withdrawn and held, and, and would have held back. But I have to tell you, that's nothing like what happened on that day. The depiction that we saw was so understated. You need to understand that those dear people lost their minds praising the Lord Jesus. And it was absolutely appropriate because they thought that they were coronating a king. And they thought he was becoming a king. He was already king of kings. And he was worthy of the greatest praises that could come out of their mouths. Even though it was misplaced and misguided, the praise that exploded that day was appropriate for Jesus Christ. 
And oh, I have to tell you, sometimes I long for days when I'm around Christians who know how to cut loose and lose their mind for Jesus when they praise Him once in a while. Amen? I have to be honest with you, I miss that a little bit. I miss the days sometimes, once in a while, I miss being around some crazy people. I think I think we got very, very dignified in our lives. But on that day, it was a day where God was worthy to be praised. By the way, He's still worthy today. He's worthy any place, any time. And I just wonder what it would have looked like if we were the ones praising Jesus that day. Now, emotion is no substitute for deep conviction and commitment to the Lord. And I understand that. But even worse is a completely unemotional, unattached involvement with the king. You see, there were some cool observers to that day. And this is one of the things that had to happen. It was all of God's choice. We have to see this as God ordained. This was a day it was ordained for praise to happen. And there were some who didn't like it. But listen, they wouldn't have even noticed it if if we were leading that. I'm trying to be nice. But again, we're so sedate in our praise. Probably the religious leaders wouldn't have even known that Jesus was coming into town. But these dear people were lifting up their voices at the top of their loud. Their, their voices. The Bible says they did it with loud voices. And they were just going crazy. For the glory of God. They were laying down their palm branches. They were laying down their cloaks. And they were screaming at the top of their lungs. Hosanna. Which means save us. And they were screaming. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was all appropriate my friends. It all needed to happen. But these these religious leaders were stirred up by it. They saw what was happening. And they had issues with Jesus as it was. They had jealousy issues. And they respond to Jesus by coming to him. And as he is riding into town. And they come up to him and say hey. You silence these people. You rebuke these people. You make them stop praising. Why do I believe that this is a day where praise was communicated? It is in the response of Jesus. And I love this response. Jesus looks back at these religious leaders and says, You don't understand what today is. This is a day that is set apart by God for praise to be lifted up. So if these people are silent, rocks are going to cry out for me. I want to remind you... He's the king of kings and nature obeys his voice. And when he wants water to be hard enough to walk on it, it's hard enough for him to walk on it. When he wants to make it into wine, he makes it into wine. When he speaks to a storm, he can calm it down with a word. When he speaks to a broken body, he can heal it. Even if it's broken to pieces, that's who he is. Nature knows that he's still king of kings and lord of lords. So it was appropriate that day that praises would be lifted up. And Jesus was helping... The leaders to understand or trying to help them understand. Praise is going to happen this day. It's part of my father's choice. It's going to go down. And I have to tell you something, my friends. I I don't want to make you uncomfortable. But I love it when praise just explodes. And there are days yet to come that are ordained by God where praise is going to explode. Amen. I still remember when I was a youth pastor, I had a, I, I formed a really good friend, uh, a friendship with a guy, a pastor, another youth pastor down the road. Uh, what I did not realize was that I was violating some, some sacred rule. And I didn't realize that until my senior pastor was furious with me for being friends with this guy.
He was a believer and he loved the Lord. But the problem my senior pastor had with this guy was that he was on that wildfire side of the, 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 the family. He was one of those who shouted. He was one of those who would speak in, in tongues and stuff. And he had a real issue with me having a relationship with this guy. And I still remember my response. I tried very hard to be respectful to my leaders. I looked this brother in the eye and I said, listen, brother, you're going to be pretty upset when you go to heaven. And he looked at me. Why? I said, because when you go to heaven, there's not going to be a section for Wesleyans. <laughs> we don't get we don't get like a country. OK, Wesleyans and Methodists, we don't get a country. Here's what God, I think, is going to do for you, brother. I think he's going to move you right next to a Pentecostal. I think that's what's going to happen. And I think that that person's going to lose their mind praising God. And I said, I don't think God is, is unkind in this. All I'm trying to say is, once in a while, it's okay to lift our voices and praise God. Because we can certainly lose, we can certainly lose our mind when we go to a sporting event and our team wins, right? We can do that. I do that. We can get really excited. Way back in the Stone Ages when the Redskins won the Super Bowl, I lost my mind. Shame on me if at least once in a while my voice doesn't get a little louder and I get a little bit excited because of who Jesus is. The coming king was coming into Jerusalem. It may have been misplaced and misunderstood, but God deserved to be praised on that day and he deserves to be praised today. It was a day of praise declare. And I asked, the, I asked the Lord in prayer as I was preparing this message, somehow help me, Father, to help our people to understand it's okay to, to get a little bit happy in Jesus. Okay? Listen, it's okay to lose your dignity a little bit as long as it's in the Spirit. And I'm, I'm trying not to scare you because some of you are thinking, man, I didn't know this pastor was like this. He's a little bit sick in the head. We got issues with him. But I just want to tell you that that there, there have been occasions and there most likely will be again when the Holy Spirit moves on me and I lose my dignity. Hallelujah. And I could shout. And I, I have been known to run. And I have been known to, to have my hands in the air praising God and jumping up and down and losing my mind. And I'll tell you, I'll never do that just because. I'll never do that just to do it. But if the Holy Spirit moves my heart, please don't be offended. I might shout praises to my God. He's worthy of praise. And it was a day of praise declared. And I loved that. I Even though it was for the wrong reason Jesus was being praised. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? And I still think it's very appropriate once in a while to raise our voices in praise to God, to lift up our hearts to him and say, oh, God, you're a wonderful God. In fact, there are times when it's the most appropriate thing that we could possibly do. God deserves the praises of his people. And by the way, he doesn't need us to praise him. He can make rocks cry out if that's what he has to do. No rocks taking my place. I want to shout praises to the Lord when it's appropriate to do so. It was a day, a day of people chosen, a day of people chosen. Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. And now I'm back to the point of this series. 
All of this day was part of the choice that God had made before the creation of the world. All of this day was about the fact that God chose humans and chose to love them and chose not to abandon them and walk away. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. Even here on the day that he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey colt, Jesus could have chosen not to be our savior that day. He could have let them coronate him king. He could have enjoyed all of the perks of being the king of a nation. And I have no doubt in my mind, Jesus would have made Jerusalem the greatest country on this planet. He could have had all of those perks. And he could have said, you know what? I don't, I don't want to go through this. He rode into Jerusalem realizing that those same people who were shouting Hosanna, many of them on five days or six days later would be shouting crucify him. And he chose to do it. I'm just amazed by that. I'm amazed by the heavenly father who witnesses all this that's going on with his beloved son. And he, instead of saying, you know what? Humans aren't worth this. Because I hate, the, I hate this fact, but it is the truth that the vast majority of people who live will reject Jesus Christ. They'll never receive the gift that he is offering. They'll never fully believe that he is the king of kings. Just like those religious leaders. There's so many who don't even think he's the Messiah. And God could have said, you know what? It's not worth it. Look at the way they're going to treat him. Look what they're going to do to him in five days. They're going to torture him. They're going to destroy his body. They're going to put him up on a cross. And he's going to shed his precious blood for them. And I just want to remind you that that was the day. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, a people chosen. He chose me. He chose you. And instead of of, of becoming king, uh, the king of that day and, and establishing a kingdom, he was just the king of kings who became our savior. Because folks, way more, as I said last week, than we needed him to be king. And he's already king. We need a savior. Amen. I needed a savior. Thank God he went to the cross. Thank God God didn't say they're not worth it. Thank God he saw something in us that he loved so much that he sacrificed Jesus for. What a powerful, wonderful thing. Praise the Lord. He chose people. What will we choose? What is our choice in this Easter season? I've been talking to you over and over about the things that God chose to do. I've been talking to you about how the very beginning of time, God chose you and God chose me. What will we choose? Because ultimately, here's another thing that God leaves up to you and I. We get to pick. We get to choose whether or not we choose God. We get to decide whether we believe. We get to pick whether or not we want that relationship with God. We have that choice. We get to decide whether we're ready to have a relationship with Him. And I'm asking you, what have you chosen or what will you choose? In eternity, what will your choice have been? Oh, if I could do it for you, I would mark the box for you. 
I would do the vote for you. Because I know the choice. I know, I know the choice that I've made. And I'm so grateful that I chose the God who chose me. I'm grateful for that. It is a simple thing. It's an act of faith and belief. That Jesus really is the Savior of the world. That he really does forgive sin. And he really takes them away. I want to say to you, God is worthy today of who I am for sure. I'm amazed he wants me, but he does. Praise God for that, right? Aren't you glad God wants you today? Aren't you glad that he chose you way back before the the creation of the world? He picked you. He said, I love that one. I choose that one. And he has chosen you. Have you chosen 